Hey guys, brand new podcast. Listen, if you enjoyed the Super Bowl with me, Tom Segura, and Warren Sapp, live streaming, thank you. And if you haven't seen it yet, you can go to livestream.ymhstudios.com to enjoy it. I got nothing else to promote. New Bill Burr comes out this weekend. New Two Bears is out right now, and I apologize that this is late. It has been chaos in the Chrysler household. We are starting. Halston, I should tell you, we are starting in-person podcast fucking Saturday. Saturday, we're doing our first in-person podcast. We're doing it outside, socially distant. And guess what the fuck I got, Halston? I got a tester. So we can do them as soon as the furniture comes inside. A little socially distant, but we can test now. I have lots to talk to you about, buddy. We got all the equipment. We got everything. I cannot fucking wait. We've got a few of these Zooms coming up, and I have a big project I'm working on. We will be having Zooms from time to time. I apologize, but I want you to know live podcasts are coming back, and they're coming back fucking strong. That's all I got to tell you. Today's podcast is a banger. Oh, wait. I should thank our sponsor, The Peacock. Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively, streaming tons of comedy hits from iconic sitcoms to brand new originals like my friend Maz Jabrani, who's on the podcast today, has a brand new special streaming right now on the Peacock, and it is called Pandemic Warrior. He is a fantastic comic. But more importantly, when it comes to Peacock, Bears beats The Office. They have The Office. That's all you have to tell me is they have The Office. I will sit and watch all 201 episodes of The Office right now. Plus, they've got bonus extras and exclusives. And if you're not new to the, if you're new to the show, trust me, you're gonna find something you love. If you're looking for more classics, you can stream every episode of Parks and Rec, Two and a Half Men, plus every season of SNL. Want to try something new? Check out Peacock's original comedies like The Amber Ruffin Show, AP Bio, which I'm pretty sure is Patton Oswalt's show, and Saved by the Bell, which is certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes. Don't miss all these hits, plus so much more, like Maz Jabrani's new special pandemic warrior get started for free at peacock.com and start streaming today let's get to the podcast i'm trying to make these shorter so the podcast lands right in your lap today's guest is maz jobrani maz jobrani is an iranian american comedian that is important because i'm obsessed with revolutions right now i'm listening to a great podcast called revolution revolutions with mike duncan they have like 10 seasons it's fucking amazing but one of the things i never really understood really wrapped my head around was the iranian the revolution in Iran where the Shah took over. Maz's ja- dad was direct, and his family was directly affected by that. And we talk about that. We talk about that. We talk about politics. Now, if you're one of those people that gets tossed because you're talking politics and it doesn't line up with yours, then I don't know what to tell you. Because we have a great, honest, open conversation about the fact that a, the majority of, not the majority, but a large group of Muslim men are big Trump supporters and Maz is not. More importantly than all this, we have a great conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. And I hope you check out Maz's special, Pandemic Warrior, streaming right now on Peacock. He's a great dude. He's a fantastic comedian. He's an amazing actor, but he is a better podcast guest. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, with his new special streaming right now on Peacock called Pandemic Warrior, my friend, Maz Jabrani. Maz Jabrani. Oh. Jabrani Maz. Oh. <laughs> how you doing, buddy? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. You hanging in there? I'm fucking losing my mind, to be honest with you. Tell me about it. Fuck it. It wasn't bad. I wasn't bad when the, um, 
when it started. And then I was, I was okay. You know, we went on tour a couple of times, so I was okay in between tours. Uh-huh. For some reason, this little chunk is getting to me. You know, it's been crazy. Like I'll go up and down in a given day. Like I just, I, I'm sick of washing dishes, dude. <laughs> How many goddamn dishes? We got a 10 year old and a 12 year old. And I try, I tried to get them involved in the washing, but it's like, okay, they're in the middle class. So they'll come down, put it in then different cups and then spoons. And I told my wife, I go, we should just label everyone gets one item for the day and they got to get through the day with it. I think it's not, it's not oh, going to happen. I did that in college. I did that in college. Uh, we, I, I got us all one plate, one fork, one spoon, one knife, and then we painted our names on them so that you each had a color, but we just ended up using the other person's shit. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it's in exactly in theory, it sounds good, but you need to be surrounded by a bunch of law abiding yeah. You know, nobody. It's. I'm just. Every time I'm, I'm like, how do we get so many goddamn dishes? And then the oh. laundry. And then, it, oh god. Anyway, that's the part of stuff that I'm. I'm done with. I mean, the comedy stuff. I don't know how much stand-up you've been doing, but between Zoom and drive-in and that stuff is not nearly as much as I'm used to. Yeah. But when I do it, it's like, oh, that felt good. Why don't I do that more often? You know. I haven't been. Let me turn these volume controls off. I haven't been. Um, I, I, I I toured pretty aggressively at the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh-huh. Like and I did. Uh, I did um, like four tours that were pretty that were pretty pretty like legit. Meaning like twenty two days in a row, shows every night, and uh, we did drive in movie theaters, and so wow. so that that was fun. And then, and you know, and, and I, and it got to, but it was taxing because there was a certain point where you are, you're tugging on the tiger's tail on whether or not you're going to get the virus. Cause you're driving around the country, you're hitting all the hotspots. Now, granted, I, I didn't realize that this at the time, but we were probably safer than anyone because we were in our own bubble. Like we were all on a tour bus. We were never leaving the tour bus. We were never, we were never around anybody. Right. I mean, ever. And so yeah. in hindsight, and I wish I had had this insight during the tour because i would get panic attacks thinking because you know this sounds silly but like i listened to some comics uh trash me because i was because i decided to do something different you you forget i know fucking you you know that you know this probably more uh, acute than anyone is the second you put your business brain on and you go hold on i got an idea i want to i think i can do this i think i can do that let me let me see if i can the, the system's not working with me right now. I want to shift and see if I can make my own way. And I think there's a respect for that. If it does moderate or if it fails, people go, oh, man, I love that guy. He's always trying. But when you succeed, you get some real dirt bags that go, dude, fuck the Axis of Evil tour. Let me tell you something. Those fucking guys, you know, like, and you know that as I do. And then all of a sudden people you're friends with are like shitting on you or you're not friends with. It's like guys you see at the store. Yeah. That you, that you bump into and you say hi to, you don't really know. And, and, and then, and then all of a sudden they're, they're kind of like shitting on you and you're like, Oh, because I tried to think out of the box. And well, 2020 has been crazy regardless because of all the stuff that happened. And I don't know about you, but I grew up watching the Godfather films and yes, Fredo is disloyal, but I learned loyalty and I learned like, no matter what my friends do in the comedy world, like I got to be there for them. And 
you know, even if I have a beef with somebody or if I disagree with something, I'll do it personally. I, yeah. I, I don't know these people that get out there and they're like vocal about, oh, how Bert, what are you doing? Did I'm like, all right, you know what? Wait till the next time I see Bert and I might say, Bert, you know, I'll be honest with you, it made me feel uncomfortable when you were doing that shit. Yeah, yeah, Dude. yeah. But this thing, you're right. It's been a crazy, crazy. But and by the way, good for you for listen. I did, I did one traveling show. I went to Arizona, did the Tempe Improv indoors. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I was hesitant going. It was towards the end of last year, and at first I was like, man, this thing is getting worse and worse. Do I go? I know it's limited capacity, all of the above. But part of me also was like, okay, they've been doing it. So you look at other people that've been doing it. Okay, they've been doing it. And secondly, I said, I want to be able to say. At least I tried it during this pandemic. Yeah, and and how I felt. And the truth is, I went there and I felt uncomfortable. The the it's true because look, you know, know how it is, dude. I did some indoor shows too. I was dude. like, I was like, I've never looked at you guys as like infectants before. Like I just yeah. fucking back the fuck up, dude. And you sit there, and what's funny? First of all, there's two things happening. First of all, as comedians, our whole lives we've been taught to be like promote, 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 fill the room, fill the room. First time. <laughs> Ever, I was like, no, I don't want anyone knowing I'm here. I just want, I just want to get my guarantee and get home and do five sets. I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing this. I'm Dude, telling you. I talked to, I talked to, I won't say names. I won't say names, but I talked to a comic and uh, he's a New York comic, uh, just a little bit younger than us. And I called him, he's, I called him and I was like, hey, how's, uh, how's Tampa? And he goes, who fucking told you? And I went, what? Because who told you? He goes, I don't want anyone to know. He goes, because I think we get LA comics and not, not me and you. I won't say me and you. It's definitely not me and you. But there are cunty LA comics that all of a sudden go, and it's a little social justice. He's like, so you're doing stand-up in the independent pandemic? Oh, really? Are they wearing masks? Are they socially? Like, they, they all of a sudden, you're like, hey, man, everyone's going to have to run their own race. Look, Florida is, I mean, I saw, I see videos of people in Florida just going out to dinner. And they're, with their dads. They're, they're like licking, they're licking shit. It's crazy. I don't know what the hell is wrong with these people. I What's saw, wrong with these people? I saw my buddy, now granted, my buddy posts fairly aggressively about Trump on uh on Instagram, like uh, to the point where I texted him yesterday. I was like, hey man, did you fall off the wagon? Like, I know you went through rehab, like, and he was like, No, dude, these fucking libtards. And I'm like, oh, okay. I, okay. I love you, brother. Okay, I'll, I'll text you. Text me when this is over. I'll, I'll talk, I'll talk to you later. But uh, Dude, I lost, I lost friends because this. Here's the thing: it's the perfect storm of. I was thinking about this. I, I thought about this a lot because the fact is, for, for four years, it's like we were bombarded with Trump shit for four years. Yeah. Whether you want it or not, today, Bert, you might wake up today and be like, "Today, I'm going to become a yoga, uh, uh, you know, guru, and I'm just going to meditate. I'm just going to, I'm going to the mountaintop and just relax." And yeah. some dude would show up with like a MAGA hat or a tweet. Or so it was four years of bombardment, and 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 I'll tell you, it's the craziest thing because, like you just said with your friend, did he fall off the wagon? I have intelligent, intelligent friends who started in 2016, like not being Trump fans, realizing Trump is this like uh, uh, clown uh, who is a uh, uh, reality show host who's always been the butt of a joke. I was thinking about, I used to do silly, innocuous Trump jokes about his hair. That was it, and people in the audience would chuckle, ha ha ha. Soon as he started saying racist shit and people were yeah. like, he's saying what's on my mind. They got so passionate about it. And I've lost friends because it's a combination of Trump and then QAnon comes in and goes, oh, there's a deep state and the liptards and the socialists. And this. so then all of a sudden people go, live free or die, motherfucker. 
And you're like, dude, just relax. You're my buddy. And this, we don't know this guy, like whether it's Trump or Biden or Obama, I don't care. Let's make fun of the guy. Let's move on with our lives. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I have, I have a weird, I have a weird stance about like, cause like I, I growing up in Florida, all my, all my friends are Trump supporters, not all of them, but the majority of them are all Trump supporters. And I talk to them. I love them. I have no, I have obviously, I mean, I don't really talk about my politics, but I mean, I think it's pretty clear who I voted for. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I don't talk about my politics at all. And so, and, and it was the same way. I used to want to write a joke about this. It was the same way about like, I used to try to figure out like anyone who talked about any issue aggressively and just wouldn't let it down. I used to get turned off from like, if you were a guy who was like, dude, we're fucking chicks tonight. We're banging chicks, fucking pussy. I'd be like, all right, that's enough for me. And, yeah. and on the same flight, on the flip side, if you were gay, you're like, oh my God, I'm sucking cock, sucking cock. I'd be like, all right, that's enough for me. Like <laughs> I was, I'm just a middle of the road kind of dude. And so like, like for a perfect example, uh, I wanted to talk to you th about this a little bit, uh, but like, I don't like anyone uh, breaking the law. Like, like, so when they were looting uh, the stores in, in California during the, the, Black Lives Matters, not Black Lives Matters were, were looting, but whoever was looting during that, I didn't like those. I didn't like that. Yeah. I, and I'm going to be very candid. I didn't like the protests during the pandemic. Personally, I just thought that's very irresponsible. That was kind of like, that's what kind of like what the comedians are saying about you. Don't go, don't go touring. You're like, don't go protesting. I'm, I'm looking at these kind of guys going, shit, you're shitting on me for doing Oklahoma City. These guys are <laughs> fucking protesting. Yeah. So, and, but on that exact same page, the sec those guys that stormed the fucking Capitol, I have just as much distaste for that behavior as I do for looting a footlocker that, that I find that I, 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 I think I'm a more, I'm more astonished by the storm in the Capitol. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm like, cause you've heard of insurrections you've heard of. And I want to talk to you about that because, because I'm obsessed right now with revolutions and uh, I'm going through a big phase where I'm like, this great podcast by Mike Duncan. It's all about revolutions. And oh, so, and so you were an actual part. I mean, you, you know, you were lucky in that you kind of were in New York during, during the fall of Iran. But like, I was wondering like how you felt about watching that. And if that hit any old kind of emotions. Absolutely. All of the above. First of all, I agree with you hundred because listen, I got, I have Iranian friends who love Trump. I mean, it's the craziest hey, thing. That's what, hey, yeah. Right. It's color doesn't matter in this. Like, color doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and what I say is a little, it's a little different the way than the way you put it. But what I say is I go, look, let's just not lose ourselves in the cult of personality of anybody. Like I personally big fan of Obama, but if you come yeah. to me and go, Hey, uh, under Barack Obama, there was more drone attacks than any president before, and innocent people died in Pakistan. I'd be like, "Oh shit, that's a bad thing." Yeah. Right. If you come to me, like a lot of my 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 conservative friends now, because I ended up on this crazy WhatsApp chat throughout the whole the whole pandemic into Black Lives Matter into the elections, and these guys were so all of a sudden more like right than I thought on the right side, and I'm very like on the left side, but. Um, one of the things that was crazy was just the uh, feeling like like we've lost you. Like it, when I when I talk about Trump, I'm not making fun of your grandmother. The whole point of America is we should be able to make fun of our leaders, and that's a big thing to keep in mind. Now, when when this whole Black Lives Matter thing happened, I actually went out to the protest and protested. I was there day one with my kids and my wife because I was like, 
our kids need to learn. Let, let me let me backtrack for a second. Trump goes into, into office early 2017, puts in the, the Muslim ban. One of the countries. That's number Muslim, one. Number one. Number one. One of the things. I, I was at the airport the day. That was a no travel ban, but I was the, at the airport the day they stopped letting Muslims into the country. Was that yes. it? And, yeah. I, and it was. I walked. I came out of American Airlines drunk and they were like protesting down uh, arrivals. And I'm like, yes. shut the yes. fuck up. I was there. I was one of the, I protested that weekend. I don't know if it was the same day you were there, but I went down to protest simply because as an Iranian American, I was like, look, this, this thing is being sold to the American people as keeping America safer. However, none of the countries that are on this ban have ever committed an act of terror in America. And furthermore, the people that are coming from these countries are vetted. And a lot of them are like, for example, Iran has a very oppressive government. And I'll get to the revolution in a second. But yeah. when that revolution happened, this Islamic Republic came in. They're very oppressive. So now you got a lot of young people in Iran who go to university there. They kick ass. And for the longest time, they were coming to America to study. And a lot of them would stay here and like go work in Silicon Valley or whatever. But at least these guys had hope that, oh, I can get out of this hell and go there. Well, once the Muslim ban happens, these guys can't come. Muslim, once the Muslim ban happens, uh, relatives of people that are here can't come. or It's harder for them to come. A lot of people, I heard a lot of stories of things that to me was injustice. So I went down, I protested. And it was interesting because like that night or the next night, I'm listening to the radio. I thought America, because there was protests all over the country at airports. I was like, okay, Americans at least understand that this Muslim ban is hypocritical. And it's really just, it's, uh, it's all smoke and mirrors, et cetera, et cetera. However, the radio goes, a majority of Americans support the Muslim ban. And that's when I had a light bulb moment. I go, wait a minute. I thought Americans understood the plight that I'm seeing right now of people from my background. And I realized, I go, the same way when like Black Lives Matter protests were happening under Obama, I always thought, oh, black people got it. They're protesting. They'll take care of it. And that's when I realized the next time there's a group that's being oppressed for whatever reason, if I can go protest, I'm going to go protest. Yeah. And so that was set in my mind. So as soon as Black Lives Matter happened, went down, family, everybody, we're protesting. It's peaceful. That's really fucking interesting. And your children are multicultural, Indian yeah. and, um, and Iranian, right? Yeah. So my wife's Indian. My uh, I'm Iranian, but we both, my wife's been in America since she was six months old. I'm here since I was six years old, but I felt it was important for them to see this. And I'll tell you, is bro, it, we went is to- it, this, can I interrupt for one second? Because I've said this before and I, I, I'm trying to question or not if what I'm saying is accurate, but like, it's funny it's funny when I when I hear you talk about going down to protest for the. I, sometimes I forget. You know, people say I don't see color. Sometimes I I, I, I I definitely see color. I know that you're not supposed to say I don't see color, but like, I don't think of. I think, and I know you came here when you were like eight, but I think of you more as American than I do Iranian. Like I just think of you as an American guy. Like like I understand you're you're Iranian and and your your culture is there and you're probably more comfortable um uh, with with uh, with that kind of food or whatever, like that culture. But like, I just see you as, and that same as Ali Wong, I understand she's Asian, but like, I'm not blind, but I don't, I think I see you more as an American dude than I do a, an Iranian dude. Absolutely. Listen, I, I obviously, I hold on to the culture, whether it's the food or some of the traditions. Wait, I like and, to party during St. Patty's day. I'm Irish, but absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and the truth is saying. like, if you ask me like, yeah, of course, like when I first came to America, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan, Oakland A's fan. Like I could tell you about baseball. I'll, listen, music wise, 
I listen to American music, you know, comedy wise, American comedy. <laughs> drink well. alcohol. Like there's yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> all of the above. So absolutely. You're right about that. But what, what happened with this thing was, listen, we live in a multicultural uh, society. And the fact is that there people hit a breaking point. And again, I'll go back to it. Like, for example, uh, the, the, the women's uh, marches and stuff that were happening, the, the, you know, the women's march that happened in protest of Trump. That was another one. I was like, you know, in your mind, you go, okay, women got it. They got it. They got it. But then you go, no, they don't got it. It's not until, like somebody pointed out, like with, with apartheid, it wasn't until the people in power started to put a hand down and go, all right, we're going to help get rid of apartheid till apartheid went away. Similarly, it's going to take all of us. When we see injustice, you got to step up and show up. And I felt like when I saw the thing with 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 uh, uh, George Floyd and 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 just and and I started hearing stories. All of a sudden, I started listening because one of the problems was I'll tell you, Bert, going back to that WhatsApp chat that I was on with my friends, who again, some of them were hardcore Iranian, but co- like conservative, they're well off. A few of them were like, yeah, well, you know, the black people got to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. I go, are you kidding me? I go, you came here, you live, you're living in Brentwood in a gated community. And I go, do you guys have any black friends? Have you even talked to anybody who's black? Because I know, for example, there was, I don't know what the comedian's name was, younger guy, he posted about like, he's like, when I'm seeing this, it's, it's I'm having like a, a flashback to things that have happened to me. And he told the story of one time he had a meeting with with uh, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans and he was excited. He's going to go pitch some show. And he goes, on the way there, I get pulled over by the cops. And the next thing I know, my head is on the ground, in the oil, et cetera, et cetera. That's not an experience I've ever had. But I go, we need to open our eyes to the experiences that people from other backgrounds and cultures might have had. And it's funny because when I said that, my one friend who's in Brentwood, he's like, you know what? There is a black guy I play tennis with. And he says once in a while he comes to Brentwood, he gets pulled over. I go, that's right, motherfucker. What do you expect? You know? So so anyway, I just real quickly, what I was saying was I went down to the protest and going back to the guys who looted. So it's funny because I was there with the kids and it was all positive And it was right here down on Fairfax and 3rd. And it's interesting because at a certain point we got we got hungry. I'm like telling my wife, I go, let's go get some food. So we went to get food, and that's when her phone started blowing up. People were like, "Are you guys okay?" I'm like, "What's happening?" There's riots happening and the fire. So I am 100% with you. When first of all, the looters, people who loot and go into the stores and take shit, they're just people taking advantage of a situation, right? Yeah, they're not they're not there for the for the message. They're there for they're they're just kids. I, I don't mean to be. I don't mean to be dismissive of it, but I was a kid also, and I made a lot of mistakes that I would never want to come up into light these days. And uh, and I think they're just kids or or poor people. I mean, listen, my house was broken into two days ago. I don't blame. I, I feel actually bad for those two people who their million dollar idea was to break into my house. Like, nice. like nice. that was their their million. They're fucking get at it. They're they're like shit's not going well. You know what though? Bert Chrysler's got a ton of pictures of himself in a room. <laughs> like, and so I feel bad. I, you know, and I know that's probably not. And I appreciate you for that. My grandfather used to say that all the time. He used to say, I never judge anybody. He goes, the guy who steals is stealing because he's hungry. Yeah. That's his, that's his solution, like you said. So similarly, these guys who looted absolutely wrong. And and but at the same time, like you said, you and I aren't going to be like, you know what? I I do need a TV, so let me go down and loot. I'm very right? lucky in that so, I, I that I can I get guys, me and you can sit in a room with a piece of paper and a pen and go, I want a TV, and then figure out how to get a TV. And I feel bad for exactly. So those guys those guys were wrong, and anybody who did anything violent was wrong. All that stuff I totally condemn. 
However, I will go back because because again, when when the cap the the rush at Capitol Hill happened at the Capitol, that was again one of my friends, the conservative friends, was like, "This is wrong," uh, and, and if we do this, then we are just like Antifa. And I was like, "No, no, 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 no." I go stop. I go stop. These dudes are literally trying to overthrow a government. And if you don't believe me, you need to go to the chat rooms. You know, I had on my podcast this guy named Frank Figluzzi. I don't know if you know Frank Figluzzi, but he's always on MSNBC and he was just on Bill Maher. He's great. You should have him on. He ta- he's a, um, he was uh, assistant director of the counter-terror- counterterrorism at the FBI. And when I had him on in the fall, before this, this, this whole attack happened, one of the things he pointed out, he said, look, he goes, I'm a retired uh, uh, FBI guy. And he goes, because I'm retired and anyone else who's in my community, he goes, we don't have to play by the same rules that current FBI has to play by. So like current FBI wants to spy on somebody, they got to get the right, you know, they got to get the, uh, you know, the approval and this and that and get into chat rooms. He goes, we can go into those chat rooms to see what's going on. And he goes, I'll tell you, Maz, what's going on is there's a group of people who are on the far right who think this is their day and they're coming and they want to overthrow the government and they're weaponized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when we say, you know, comparing the looters of, 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 of you know, the Nike store with the guys who stormed the Capitol, yeah. the guys at Nike store are just doing stupid shit and they should be caught and, and arrested and pay whatever they got to pay for, for doing that. These motherfuckers were trying to overthrow government. They were, they, were legit, you, they were legit trying to overthrow the government. They were, they legit. were legit. If they yeah. had got burnt, if they, you tell me, if they had gotten their hands on Nancy Pelosi, what do you oh, think they would have done? They would have killed her. They would have killed her. And I don't think they would have meant to kill her. Maybe they would have meant to kill her. But I think what would have happened is the same shit with watching that guy get crushed. It's mob mentality. And you, you've got to understand, you know, what, what I, I think a lot of people don't, maybe won't own up to is, their ability to participate in mob mentality. Well, I used to have a bit that I was working on that we're all Karens. Like, don't ever think you're not a Karen. Black, white, Mexican, we're all fucking Karens. Sometimes when injustice happens to us, as small as it may be, uh, I remember I called the cops on a moving truck. I don't even know what color the dudes were, but I had ice cream. I had ice cream in my truck, and this moving truck was blocking me, and my ice cream was melting. And there was a, for whatever reason, that called urgency. Hilarious. And I was like, you guys need to fucking move. The guy's like, real slow, suck my dick. <laughs> and in second, dude, there is a there is a sincere power in not giving a fuck. When you don't give a fuck, that is when you when you when you go head to head with someone that really doesn't give a fuck, you have never felt more helpless in your life. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I was like, hey man, move the fucking truck now. And he's like, why don't you get out and suck my dick? And now they're laughing at me. I go, I'll call the cops. And they're like, call the fucking cops. Oh, no. Like, I'll call. The, by the way, this was 10 years ago. I was like, I'll call the fucking cops. This is before. Maz, this is such a true story. This is before your cell phone would let you dial 911. Had your cell phone let you dial 911 when this happened, I would have called the cops on these Hilarious. guys. But so, everyone's got that ability. Yeah. So when they got a hold of Nancy Pelosi, I am certain that the first guy that got her wouldn't have meant to hurt her, just scare her a little bit. But the second guy would have been like, Grab her ponytail. I don't even know what Benazzi Pelosi looks like. Sure, yeah, whatever. They would have fucked. They would have ended up killing her. Just that's the way that works. If you are looking to shave your balls, Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. I'm telling you, the other day I sat on the toilet and I thought, this is a mess down here. 
So you know what I did? I grabbed my lawnmower 3.0 trimmers, the best hygiene tool for the modern man because they're ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology. No more snags, no more snowballs. Trimmer just is waterproof too. So you can take it in the shower if you want. They've got the performance package, which is the best buy, the Manscaped performance package, best buy of 2021. With their new lawnmower, new and improved lawnmower 3.0 weed whacker and ear and nose and hair trimmer, bro, I'm clean as shit. That comes in it, plus performance boxer briefs and a travel bag. Have you ever noticed how many nasty nose hairs you have? Take a second. Look at your friends. Stand next to your friends. 79% of partners polled admitted their partner's long nose hairs is a turnoff. Get rid of that shit. The bundle comes with the crop preserver, ball deodorant, and crop reviver. By the way, I used the, uh, the, the ball wipes. Fucking amazing. Amazing. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BERT at manscaped.com. 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BERT. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BERT. Thank you, Manscaped, for making my wiener this winter look so much better. One of my favorite things to do when we were on the Hot Summer Nights tour is take a CBD gummy at the end of the night. I still do it to this day. And if you're at home or on the go, CBD capsules and gummies offer an easy, pre-measured way to enjoy CBD. CBD soft gels are simple, familiar way to, to add CBD into your daily routine. If you want CBD without all, without all the frills, look no further because CBD MD offers premium CBD oil, soft gels, and their gummies provide the same pre-measured easy use as the capsules and a more fun, flavorful treat. Each, each 30 count bottle is vegan, gluten-free, and features four fruity flavors, orange, strawberry, mixed berry, and tropical. And both the capsules and the gummies are available in a variety of concentrates. So you can find the right strength to meet your needs. To make it even easier, See what CBD can do for yourself. Go to CBDMD. It's offering all our listeners 25% off when you go to CBDMD.com and use the promo code BERT at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD and use the promo code BERT at checkout to save 20% off your purchase of premium CBD oil products from CBDMD. So that's my point. My point is these guys were actually, in my opinion, much worse than the Reebok guys because these guys, listen, I don't think they're bad people. Like you just said, I think that a lot of people, most people, you sit down with them face to face, they're good people if they're you know of sane mind. But I think a combination of all the conspiracy theories, all the stuff that's been added up, they really felt that they were saving the country. By the way, they kept calling themselves patriots, patriots. Even Ivanka uh, Trump put a tweet, we need the patriots today. You start calling yourself patriot, at some point you think you're the superhero. There's actually a guy who's a gaming designer, and, and he, he's been commenting on this. He goes, QAnon is set up like a game in that in the game, you're the good guy. You're going to save everybody, and here's all the bad guys. And he goes, QAnon is the same. They tell you the bad guys are the pedophiles and the deep state and the left wing and the da-da-da-da-da, and, and Donald Trump is the savior, and you're going to help him save everybody. So these guys were there with bad intentions. And so going back to the Islamic Republic of Iran, the, the, the revolution that happened in 79, I was a kid, I was six years old, late 78. And what had led up to that revolution was at the time, the king of the country, the Shah, he had- Yeah, let's, hang on. Let's, 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 let's take our time with this because this is so fat. I'm so fascinated by monarchies. I'm so fascinated yeah. by, by emperors and, and all of that right now. So the Shah 
the sh- 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 it, I'm, I'm apologizing if, if I, I'm also stupid as fuck. So is Shah the Iranian with a Persian word for king? Yes. So let me, okay. let me take you back. So, so please, please. Oh, I'm fucking, by the way, I just got chill bumps. I'm so fucking fascinated by this. Well, listen, dude, first of all, one of the things, again, as somebody who, and, and, and this is again, what blows my mind with some of my fellow Iranians or other people who've come from countries that were led by a, a totalitarian, uh, a monarch, and they weren't seeing that with Trump. Because in all honesty, the one thing Trump did very, very well was he took everyone's reality and turned it to the point where only he was right. And I say, I don't care who you are. There's going to be a time in your life when you're wrong, right? You might be right six days of the week, but the seventh day, maybe you, you've made the wrong decision on something. So it really humanizes you if you come out and go, you know what, by the way, guys, I was wrong about that thing. This is what's right. Well, with him, you know, it was always know, like, you know what? You know what also is interesting about Trump. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. You know what's also inter- interesting, really, really fascinating about the guy is he was preaching to a group of people that all took what he said as gospel. Yes. And and, and people felt like, and I, I got to admit this, but then there was also these these centrists like myself who maybe didn't vote for him, but would hear some of the shit he said and laugh hysterically. Yeah. As if as if it wasn't real. Like just go yeah. like. And then text your buddy, like, dude, he called Ted Cruz's dad the Zodiac Killer. Like, yes. and, and you're like, and then you're just sitting. I mean, I, when I heard that, I laughed hysterically. And I said, Absolutely. are you fucking serious? Like, that, like there is a, there is a, for whatever that is, that kind of shoot from the hip style was so refreshing in politics. And, and when you hear Joe Biden just come back and everything go back into order, I, I guarantee you, there's some people in the middle going like, I, "Look, I didn't want, I didn't vote for him again, so I for this this time, I didn't vote for him the first time, but I didn't vote for him, I didn't vote for him, but I missed the razzle dazzle a little bit." <laughs> but, but no, but listen, I totally hear you. But here's the problem because it's this is I totally agree with you, and I talked about this in my standup. He says all this shit where you think it's funny, but there's enough nutty people out there believe it who believe it and take it and go one step further. So even before all of this shit, shit happened, in my in my special, my Netflix special, actually I mentioned it. I, I don't know if anybody ever did a study to find this uh, um, um, uh, correlation. However, in 2016, when he was running and part of his running was, you know, I'm gonna do a Muslim ban. And then he was like, I'm gonna change the Iran deal. The Iran deal is horrible. So Iran was in the news, Muslims are in the news. Some dude in Kansas, I think, it was either Kansas or Kentucky, some like white, you know, 60-year-old white dude. He went to like some bar. He sees these two Indian dudes from India who are these engineers. They're just sitting there minding their own business. And for whatever reason, this guy confronts them. And in the, the heated argument he has with them, he goes back into his car, comes back, shoots them both, gets back in his car, goes to another bar, goes and tells the bartender, I just killed uh, a couple of Iranians. He thought they were Iranians. They were actually Indians. One of them died, one of them survived. However, I guarantee you, Bert, this dude in Kansas or Kentucky, wherever the fuck he was, had no idea what an Iranian was or why he should be worried about them until he saw the likes of Donald Trump or other politicians saying, that's our enemy, that's our enemy, that's our enemy. So that's where we go back to what you just said, which is, I agree with you. As a comedian, I saw the funny, right? Calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. Okay, that's that's some fucking stupid shit you would say, you know, 
some it a it a it a it a you know uh um uh what's it called uh, uh like a a, a a an argument of some sort you're having with you know you want to be funny with a a, a roast battle or something right yeah. yeah but when he says it and you and I laugh there are others who are watching him and going she's the enemy so put her on the list put her on the and they're out of their fucking minds it was, it's heartbreaking so, when you realize how stupid some people are did you ever see that guy that went into Cosmic Pizza in DC yes. Yeah, that was Pizzagate. That was Pizzagate. And this is where it's super confusing. Is and and I don't. I I understand that I'm I'm not a well thought out guy. So just realize that all my everything I'm saying is kind of like I don't know whatever. So if people lose their fucking mind over this, I don't care. My heart broke for that guy a little bit. Yeah, horrible stuff. But he's so stupid that he actually he actually was there to save children. Well, see, Bert. Here's the thing. I totally agree with you because. My heart breaks for these people as well. And, and for the people who don't know, that was all from Pizzagate. Pizzagate came about because this whole QAnon thing, it's kind of part of the, all the conspiracy. But when, the, when, when they got access to John Podesta's email, John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. When they got access to his emails, there was all these orders going through this cosmic pizza place. They were ordering pizzas. And yeah. whoever was, was uh, translating it, sat there and said, oh, what's really going on? And this is where the conspiracy comes in. These guys are all pedophiles because the Democrats are pedophiles and pizzas represent the kids. So when they're ordering like four cheeses and five whatevers, they're actually ordering four, I don't know, Latino kids and a white kid, whatever the hell it was. And this guy in North Carolina believed it, got in his car, brought his guns, went to the pizza place. And I mean, he really believed it. He really like, and, 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 your heart breaks that that, that 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 this guy was led. If someone had just put him on the right path, he'd be doing something good for the world. Instead, he really goes in, terrifies a bunch of people. Probably, I'm sure hurt. I don't know if he hurt anyone or whatever. But like you go, oh, he like I'm 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 a little bit of an outsider when it comes to politics and like what's going on. On I really don't even know much about QAnon and and all these things. But like when you see a story like that, you go. Oh my God, he 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 actually he actually believed that. Actually believes it, but that's the, the see the bigger problem comes when you realize there's more people like that than we thought. So when those yeah. people go and storm the Capitol, listen, you could be a Trump supporter for a million reasons, but somebody would be like, "Hey, Bert, get on a plane. We're gonna go change the vote." <laughs> you like, I don't know about that. You know, I'm gonna. I think I got some shit to do. You know, like you know, it's my turn to wash the dishes. I'm not going. But when you show up there, I mean, there's more. So so I agree with you that I feel sorry for these people, but I'm also worried by these people because I believe that unless we're able to get these people out of the rabbit hole, we're going to have more and more people believe. Like, that's the thing Trump did. He made reality his own. So he said, listen, if if any news organization, including Fox, says anything bad about me, fake news. They made it up. And it's like, no, motherfucker. We, you said it. You're, you just said what we we have clips of you saying the pandemic is just like is is a fake hoax made up by the Democrats. So and then we have an audio of you talking to Bob Woodward, telling him how serious you know it is. So how can you say that you never said that? So anyway, all of that to say, when I see somebody like that, it actually made me remember the cult of personality that happened under Ayatollah Khomeini who's the one who took over for the Shah. Now, let me take you back. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, take me back. So what happens, Iran is 
this country that has had a lot of turmoil all through the 1900s. And one of the biggest things, I used to say this, is the oil, all right? I always say, if you're a country with oil, it's like being a drug dealer. The cops are coming for you. Meaning America or England, the West is coming to get you. You better be ready to flush that shit down the toilet. Because what happened was early 1900s, the Brits go to Iran. They're like, oh, they got oil. They discover oil in Iran. So then the Brits show up and British Petroleum, BP, that you you know, we all know, um, they basically take control of a majority of Iran's oil. So imagine another country, the, the Brits have come now, the way they, you know, they colonize a lot of, a lot of places. They've come to Iran and they're like, we're going to take one of your most you know, profitable resources and BP is going to own that and you'll get a percentage, but we're going to own a lot of it. It's so, just like what, what BP or when, when England was like, hey, man, we're going to build the uh, Suez Canal and, uh, and we'll run that. And, and Egypt's like, wait, hold on, hold on. Or was it Egypt? Saudi Arabia was yeah, like, Egypt, Egypt, yeah. Egypt. Egypt's like, wait, that's our land. And they're like, yeah, I know, but it's going to be better for us if we just run it because we're going through there. And then that was the whole beginning of Egypt going, hey, fuck you guys. We're exactly. This is like, it's like, like England is like Suge Knight just going around taking shit. And these other guys are like, wait a minute, I'm going to start my own company. I don't need your shit. So, so Iran was that. So Iran had, the BP was taking Iran's oil. And then so in the early 50s, so Iran at the time had a king, okay? And the king is called the Shah. Now, a little backstory as well. The, the Shah of Iran before World War II, the Shah of Iran was, um, he was friendly with the West. Um, this is the, the father of the guy who leaves at the revolution. So really like in the early, from the early 20s to the early 40s, this guy is the king of Iran and he's helping modernize it. And, um, and one of the things that happens is Iranians, the word Iran comes from the word Aryan. We come from the Caucasus Mountains. We are actually like the original white people. So, so the Shah of Iran, as World War II is coming up, he considers himself Aryan. And he's like, well, Hitler's talking about Aryan. And he's like, he's not, you know, he's got some good ideas. So, yeah, exactly. So that's what... That's what. By the way, there's there's an under there's an understatement of how many people agreed with Hitler back in the day. There was a lot of Prince Philip of was like Prince Philip was like, I mean, I met him. He was cool. Yeah, he, you know, he was all right. You he know, good parties. What can I tell yeah. you? <laughs> German beer is delicious. It's fantastic. <laughs> so so this guy, the, he's the the you know the king of Iran, and he you know uh, sympathizes a little bit with the Nazis and Mussolini, all that. That's when the West comes to him and goes, yo, so this is like America. Yeah. America and the Brits and everything. They go, you can't, we can't have this shit. So they go, you know what we're going to do? This is what we do. We are going to send you into exile. We're going to let your son become king. And that way your crown will keep the throne. But, you know, you've already said some shit. We got to get rid of you. So this guy, he gets exiled and he goes and his story is like kind of tragic too. Like supposedly he left and ended up in South Africa and didn't have money and the son wasn't sending it. Oh, that's a whole other story. But his son becomes the Shah of Iran. And he's, this is now early, like late 40s, early 50s. And this guy is like 21 years old. He is um, Western educated. He was educated in Switzerland. And they're doing all this regal stuff. Like he's got the gown and the crown. And he's like, you know, I am now the, the king of Iran, right? So this dude's there. 
you know, he's not really qualified to be running a country, but he is the person that the West wants. He's 22. 22, bro. What were you doing at 22? I wasn't even doing comedy yet. I wasn't even uh, doing comedy. Fuck, I was still in, I hadn't even graduated from my first junior year. Yeah, you were you were still in college. I was 22. Oh. I was an assistant at an advertising agency. I was working at a stationery store. I wasn't running no country. So <laughs> this dude, this dude is there. Now, what's going on? Just like in England, for example, you've got the monarchy and then you've got the parliament, right? And now, I don't know when this all happened, but for the most part, the parliament holds the power. The monarchy is just, you know, she, you know, she blesses people and shit, like dresses in yellow. By the way, the Queen of England is the only person I say can dress in a full yellow outfit and not be a pimp. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. The hat, you know, she's, I'm telling you, bro. So anyway, so the Iranian parliament at the time has this guy in power. He's he's been democratically elected. His name is Mossadegh, uh, Mohammed Mossadegh. And he's this intellectual older guy. This is early 50s. Now, he since he is this guy who is smart and he is part of parliament and he's actually a he's actually an experienced leader, he now can really kind of push his power on this young Shah, right? So when he comes into parliament, he says to the country, we are going to take back our oil and nationalize it. So what does that do? What that does is he basically says to England, fuck you, get the fuck out. We're nationalizing our oil. Adios, no more, no more of this free shit. You know, you can still get a percentage, but mostly it's going to be ours. Yeah. So England, all of a sudden, is like, what the fuck? So at the time. This um, is almost, this how, can I, you're going to agree with this almost 100%. This is how they used to do comedy specials. What's that? <laughs> Managers were England, and they're like, "Here's the deal: we got a great oh, deal funny. for you. Yeah, we're going yeah. to give you ten grand. All right, then we're going to oh, give yeah. you a special. We'll put it on Comedy Central. Don't worry about anything. You can sell it at your shows." And we were like, "Iran, going? That sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea." And then one yeah. day, Netflix is like, "How about we give you the money to make a special?" And we're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Who's getting that money before?" And managers yeah. are like, "Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about?" And then, that and then, a- then you now you own your special, and you're like. Oh, wait, so I can sell it in perpetuity? Shut the fuck up. That is a great analogy. And the Shaw being young is the uh, social media influencer who's trying to, who's getting a stand-up special. You're like, how the hell is this dude? He's only 16. He doesn't even have any jokes. You're going to give him a special? So that's (laughs) him in this analogy, all right? So so, um, Mossadegh, Mohammed Mossadegh, he nationalizes the oil. Now, at the time, this is early 50s. So as you know, in the early 50s, the biggest threat to America was the Soviet Union and communism. Yeah. That's why we went to war in Vietnam. That's why we're in Korea. Every time you said communism, we're like, we got to go and stop that country from becoming communist. So England, being smart, goes to comes to the US and they tell the Americans, they go, listen, Iran is strategically located to the north of Iran is the Soviet Union. And if we don't put our influence in there, this guy Mossadegh, who just nationalized the oil, he's a socialist and he's going to take the country towards socialism and communism and it's going to go communist and the Russians are going to get Iran. And that's when America goes, oh, hell no. So under the Eisenhower administration, they organize a coup d'etat. So going back to this coup that almost happened here at the Capitol, yeah. 
America organizers with the CIA. There was a guy named Kermit Roosevelt. There's a book written by it. you. Can look up Kermit Roosevelt. And I'm he, writing down so much during this. By dude, the way, I'm, these are the these are the jokes I've written. Oh, uh, the Middle East is like is like uh, hot chicks. Right now they're great with big tits and oil and whatnot. But when they get older and they're all dried up, no one's gonna fucking want them. <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. The other yeah. one you went to the stationery store. Yeah, was, that's when that's when the windmills become hot. Go on, stationery <laughs> store. Go ahead. That's when the windmills become hot. <laughs> yeah. It's like Denmark. All of a sudden, Denmark. You said I worked at a stationery store, and I almost said, "Aren't all stores stationery stores?" Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a Stephen Wright joke. Yeah, right. I don't. Yeah, but keep going. I'm sorry. I'm I, I'm fucking so distracting no, on my own podcast. I love you, man. It's fantastic. So, so here, you know, one thing I've learned, and I, I think I'm like this. I don't know if you're like this at all, but having done stand up for so long, I am good at like going, 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 then totally diverging from the story for like ten minutes, yes. and then going back. You know, yeah, it's, I think that's a stand up brain. Yeah. And I think I, I do that with my like my family, like they'll get they'll get upset because they'll think they got away from the story. So like we'll start a story in the car and then we'll get to, totally distracted. And my wife's probably thinking, like, thank God I have to listen to the bullshit story. We'll get home and at dinner, I'll be like, so anyway, what I was saying in the car was they're like, this motherfucker is not forgetting his shit. So Kermit, I'm, Kermit I'll Eisenhower, bring you back. No problem. Interrupt anytime you want. So is that the name Kermit Eisenhower? Kermit uh, 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 Roosevelt, 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 Roosevelt. All right, keep going. Yeah, Kermit Roosevelt. So Kermit Roosevelt was the, he was, I think he's a grandson or somehow he's related to the Roosevelts. Anyway, I think he's a grandson. He was involved with the CIA. He wrote a book about it, tells you A to Z on how they did it. Matter of fact, CIA, uh, years later, I think under the Clinton administration, because it was all classified, but then under Clinton, he actually came out and apologized to Iran for having done the coup. And it's one of the only times, because every time people, listen, conspiracy theorists think that there's this well-oiled machine somewhere running everything. And I go, you know how much shit has to happen exactly and how people got to people keep their mouth shut for all this shit that you're talking about to yeah. happen? It doesn't happen that often. No, so, there's a plane full of people on 9-11 that got flown down to Cuba. My yeah, ass. Yeah, all that shit. So- the the CIA has has said that the one time when it happened as it was the way they they planned it was the Iranian coup d'état with Mossadegh. So what happens is the CIA gets some operatives to go into the streets to protest Mossadegh. Now before this happens, the Shah, who again was a symbolic leader, he saw the heat that was coming on to him because Mossadegh has now nationalized the oil. A lot of Iranians are like this is great. We're going to get back our oil. So this guy's 21 years old. So what he does, he goes, you know what? I'm going to go on a vacation to Rome. So he just takes off. Like he just fucking leaves. Grabs <laughs> a carton of cigarettes and is like, I'll be back. I'll be back. So he just takes off and Mossadegh now is there. And that's when they go, we got to do this coup. So they go into the streets and basically they get these protesters to go in the streets and go, if this guy becomes, you know, the ruler Iran's going to go communist. And so there's protests, yada, yada, yada. They go down to his palace. They get him out. They drag him out and they take him and they send him into exile. And now the door is open again for the Shah to come back. So the Shah lands and he's like, had a great time in Rome. Yeah, like, what happened? Oh, shit. Yeah. Someone yeah. moved my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even like, he didn't really like admit like, oh, I ran away. He's like, no, no I just, I'm back. So he's yeah. back. <laughs> and he's in his early 20s, and he is willing to play ball with the West. Now, 
Have you ever read the book called um, uh, by J uh, uh, John Perkins? It's called um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Have you ever heard it? Nope. Pick Writing that up. It's a great book. This guy wrote this book, and he basically goes into all of these government overthrows that America was involved with. And yeah, the whole time you're saying this, I'm going, you know, I, it's not too far off for a country like Russia to set up this this insurgency that happened at the Capitol for us, where they start flooding these, like they just start running these chat rooms going like, yeah, 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 yeah. Meet up at, what is Chapotle? Okay, Chapotle. <laughs> that's a horrible yeah. Russian accent. But no, yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because that's the thing. You don't know who's behind some of this yeah. shit. Yeah. And so um, um, this guy, John Perkins, does his book. And, and in the book, he says, the way America has worked with other countries, he goes, first, they will send in big corporations. And a big corporation will go to some of these countries, whether it's like Chile or Guatemala or Iran or whatever. And they'll be like, Hey, we're Bechtel, we're Halliburton, we're whoever. You know what you guys need? You guys need an electrical grid. So we will build that grid for you and we will run it for you. And um, you just got to pay us X, Y, and Z. And then we'll rotate that money back into you and give it to your king or whatever it is. And ultimately, it's a foot in so that now they're dependent on America. And then eventually you go, well, now that, you, now that you've got all this wealth, king of X country, you should probably get some American troops to protect you, right? Let's get some American troops there, on and on and on. And he goes, if countries play ball with the, with, the, with the companies, deal done. He goes, if they don't play ball with the companies, then they send in the CIA to overthrow that leader who's not playing ball. And if that doesn't work, then we attack. So that's the three-pronged approach of America, all right? This is our past. Now, Iran is there. The Shah of Iran is playing ball now. He says, um, you guys can have, you know, the oil. We'll make a better deal for the oil so the West can have the oil. He starts getting a lot of money because the country's getting rich. So he starts buying weapons and starts building his military. Iran becomes one of the strongest militaries in the Middle East. It's an ally of the West. Um, by the way, a fact that probably a lot of people don't know, you know, right now the current government um, is a Muslim government and they're anti-Semitic, they're anti-Baha'i, which is their, the biggest uh, um, group that they persecute in Iran. Um, but, the, but Iran back then and now has the second highest Jewish population in the Middle East after Israel because there's, Jews aren't really living in any of the Arab countries, but in Iran, they were there. So Iran is in the middle of you know, that time between like the 50s until the 70s, the Shah is there playing ball, but also modernizing Iran. If you see pictures of Iran from like the 60s and 70s, there's women in miniskirts. They had discos. You know, me as a kid, the things I remember, because America uh, exports its culture. So as a kid, the first things I remember was, was seeing the movie Rocky. I was a big fan of Zorro. I had Batman uh, and, and, and Spider-Man comic books. I loved Muhammad Ali. I mean, these are all things as a kid I remember. And so Iran is relatively westernized or is getting there. Now the problem, so the Shah did some good things. The Shah modernized the country. The country was wealthy. Um, the one thing that the Shah was being criticized for was because he was a king and a dictator, he had a lot of enemies from different groups. So whether it was like from the 
you know, liberal intellectuals or from the communists or from the religious mullahs, they call them. There's all these groups that are against the Shah. And if you criticize the Shah back then, he had a secret police called Savak and you could disappear. So you get this all set up where you've got this guy who's almost like a benevolent dictator to many, but there's also enemies of his. Yeah. And as the 70s go on, these people that are criticizing him get more and more critical. And what happens is there's a perfect storm of these people that are criticizing him. And now going back to the Iranian community, we have big conspiracy theorists. So a lot of Iranians think that somehow Jimmy Carter was involved with Ayatollah Khomeini coming back. I don't know if that's if there's any evidence of that. But Ayatollah Khomeini was a religious leader. So imagine he was like the Pope for the, the, the Muslims of Iran. And another thing to remember, differentiate is the Muslims of Iran are Shiite, whereas a lot of Arab Muslims are Sunni, just like Catholic and Protestant, right? Yeah. Well, the fact is they don't get along either. Like they, they hate each other. Like they'll fight the way like Saudi Arabia and Iran fight. They'll fight. But Ayatollah Khomeini at the time is the leader of the Shiite Muslims. And what's happened with him is like in the, I don't know the exact date, but let's say late 60s, early 70s, he, I think the Shah, I think they killed Khomeini's son for some reason. I think they were like criticizing the Shah or something and he was either jailed or killed. So Khomeini gets sent into exile. They kick Khomeini out. And at the time, by the way, look, this is, was a dictatorship. So they could have killed Khomeini and been like, just execute the dude. But I think that he had so much power that they said, if we execute him, his followers are going to get angry. It's going to lead to a revolution. So let's just, you know, send him into exile. And yeah. what he would do back then, before social media, wow. he would do these like political sermons, and they would put it on tape, and they would sneak it into Iran, and they would uh, disseminate the tapes among all of his followers. So all these people, like he was from the outside, he was in Iraq at the time. He was criticizing the Shah from Iraq, and his followers were hearing this, and they're getting angrier and angrier and more in line. And eventually what happens is late 70s, some protests start happening in the streets of Iran. And um, I believe the inciting factor was there was a theater, a movie theater in a city. It's called Qum, Q-U-M, which is the religious city of Iran. So a lot, it's a very religious city. So it's like saying like the Vatican or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to like find analogies here. I was, I was trying to think, I was trying to like, uh, like Knoxville. <laughs> Knoxville. Exactly. Like think somewhere like in the South. Right. So yeah. it's Bible belt, but it's, so there's a movie theater there it's called uh, cinema Rex. And there's like 300 people in the movie theater. Somebody sets it on fire, locks the doors. People die. Now going back, the religious people blame the Shah's people. A lot of people from the Shah's side say it was a setup to kill those guys, to incite the protests that were happening. It was an Antifa against. setup, the old school Antifa flip, flipperoo. The Antifa flip. So I don't know who did it, but the fact Dude, is- This is so similar to what's going on here. That's like, what I'm telling you. That's what I'm insane. telling you. So the fact is, so now in the Shiite religion, again, I'm not that religious, so I just pick up pieces and bits and yeah. pieces from there. What happens is 40 days after somebody dies, they go and mourn that death. It's like a you know ceremony, and they go in the streets and they march. Yeah. 
well, you have all these people that died. Now they're now people are marching, you know, to mourn the people, but that march turns into a protest, and the protests start getting, you know, heated and heated and heated. And now the military is called in to 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 quash this protest, and some soldiers shoot into the protesters, killing some protesters. 40 days later, there's protests to mourn the death of the protesters. That starts to escalate to the point where what happened was suddenly all of the Shah's enemies, whether it was, you know, again, the liberal intellectuals or the, 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 the religious types, whatever, they all start going into the streets and the protests grow and grow and grow to the point where, um, it was, when so Iran, the bazaar in Iran, the bazaar is like the marketplace where people go and you can buy anything. And so the they called the bazaris, the people own shops in the bazaars, and they're a big part of the economy. So when they decide to come on board and join the protest by closing their shops, going into the streets, protesting, and then all of a sudden next to them are doctors and lawyers who've shut their offices to protest. That's when the Shah, I think saw the writing on the wall and was like, oh shit, this is this time it's real. So he ends up leaving the country in early 79. He flies out. Didn't That's he go to New called. York or something? I was in New York at the time. So my family left. So this is taking you to my personal story. Late 78, my father's on business. What'd your dad do? Was your dad like buddies with the Shaw? My dad was a businessman. He had uh, came from kind of a tough background and he worked his way up in an electric company and what happened he told me one time he goes like in the whatever mid 50s he goes the government decided they're going to nationalize electricity so government owns like pg&e and uh whoever uh, enron or not enron you know what i'm saying all these yeah, people yeah, yeah. the government's going to own it but he said they called a few companies and said we're going to subcontract to you my dad was one of those companies so all of a sudden my dad starts getting these amazing deals, uh, b- uh, businesses. And so he's like, they're building, you know, the lights and the electricity from, you know, here to Mammoth or wherever it was. And you got to imagine like, that's a lot of money that you're coming in. And my dad, the best fictional character that I could compare my dad to, he was like Vito Corleone from The Godfather. Yeah. Like my dad was someone, he helped everybody. He was very powerful. He knew people like, you know, mayors and, and police captains and all that stuff. But I didn't, he used to tell me stories about like, you know, helping people out, but I didn't believe him until when he passed away. And I would just run into people and they'd be like, are you Hosro Jobrani's son? I was like, yeah. They're like, your dad was the reason I was able to escape Iran. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you know, I didn't have an, I didn't have a, a house and your father was, you know, owned a bunch of property. And he told me live in there and pay me whenever you can. He was that kind of guy. Like, tipping people. He was just always very generous. So anyway, he is in New York on business before the Shah has left, before the revolution. He's in New York on business. And I always tell people, because the Shah had faced so much turmoil in his 20 some odd years in power and had been able to quash those protests in the past, I think everybody saw these late 70s protests as, oh, He's going to stop this as well. Yeah. It'll be over soon. So my dad told my mom, he goes, listen, it's winter break for the kids. Why don't you bring uh, me and my older sister, bring them to New York uh, for two weeks while they're on winter break. And uh, you know the protest will die down. You guys can go back. And to the point where we even I had my baby brother, we left my baby brother in Iran because we thought we we're going to be back in two weeks. And I always tell people, I go, we, we packed for two weeks. 
and we stay for 40 years, you know? And, and that's a common story for a lot of people that left Iran at that time. We thought we we're going to go back, but we didn't go back. And so when we come here a few months later, the Shah comes. And, and shortly after that, Ayatollah Khomeini flies in on an Air France uh, from France because he'd gone from Iraq to France. And that's, again, where the conspiracy theorists go, well, if the West didn't want Khomeini to go and ruin the country, they could have kept him in France and thrown him in prison. But I think you know the West kind of was like, all right, well, this guy, they're calling for him. And they thought maybe he would actually go. Because one of the things that this is, this is going back to what I saw with Trump. One of the things that leaders like this, charismatic leaders do, they make everybody feel like they're going to fix everything. So Khomeini's thing was, look, the Shah has made himself and his friends rich. I'm going to come in. We're all going to get, you know, we're all going to share in the wealth. Things are going to be fine. Like at the time of Khomeini, doctors and there was a brain drain. People were leaving the country and he was saying, he's like, we don't need those doctors. We'll train doctors in two months and be up and running. Oh. Well, the truth is, once he comes in and takes power, he is surrounded by a bunch of people, and himself included, and they just start executing people that were part of the previous regime, like straight up like firing squads and shit. Oh so God. it gets dark fast. And quickly, they tell women, cover yourselves up. This is now an Islamic republic. So whereas women were wearing miniskirts, now they have to cover themselves up. Now you've got the religious police. Now you've got, that again goes back to a lot of stuff that I worry when I look at Trump and what you were saying, like part of us laugh at him. Part of the, or, part of uh, uh, his followers are just cuckoo, think that like, you know, they got to save the world with him. But there's a big part also that are these crazy religious types who think that this is all part of the big game plan to make America, you know, Armageddon's coming and Trump's going to stop abortions and we're all going to get guns and Jesus is going to come. So that's the kind of thinking that started happening in Iran to the point where like this religious police would be going around the streets. And if like a dude is walking with a girl, they just walk up to him and be like, what's your relationship? And you'd be like, it's my sister. Show me IDs. And if God forbid, there's not your sister, they'd like take you to, the, to, to jail and whip you and shit. So crazy shit happened. And, and it led even, it got darker and darker because under Khomeini, his mind, when he took over Iran, he thought, okay, this is God, you know, telling me we're, we're onto the right thing. And there's going to be an Islamic wave around the world. And quickly, the neighboring country, Iraq, with Saddam Hussein, who had been a rival of Iran, there's a region between the two countries where there was a little bit of a debate on whose oil was there. Saddam sees the turmoil in Iran and he goes, now is the time for me to go in and get my oil. So he starts doing that. That's when Khomeini goes, we're ready to fight. And that leads to the Iran-Iraq war, which lasts for about seven to eight years. Over a million Iranians die. I don't know how many Iraqis die, but it was so crazy. This is how brainwashed people were because, again, in the Iranian religion of Shiism, there is, they believe in martyrs. So when somebody dies for a cause, they put their picture up on the streets. Like when you drive around the streets of Iran, there's pictures of young people that have died in war and they're martyrs. And so what they would do under the uh, war with Iraq, a friend of mine who had gone 
to was was part of the military because military is mandatory service there. He said early on in the war with Iraq, the Iraqis would line minefields up, and the Iranians would line up sheep to go into the minefields to explode the mines, and then they could attack. Well, as you can imagine, as soon as a bomb exploded, the sheep would disperse. So it was the stupidest strategy ever. So what did they do? They went and got these like young, like 12, 13-year-old kids, like the Boy Scouts, basically. And they said, are you really patriotic to Iran? If you really believe in this God, you have been chosen to be a martyr. We're going to put this key that's the key to heaven around your neck. We're going to line you up and you're going to march into the mines and detonate the mines. And then our soldiers will come and fight. And that's the kind of shit they were doing, Bert. When Tom got hurt, I asked everyone about Kratom. And now we have a sponsor. I want to thank Ketum Superior Kratom. Because in this busy world, people easily get tired and fatigued, need a little boost. Well, Kratom powder can help you do out. A low dose can make your day energetic and fruitful. Ketum Superior Kratom offers potent lab-tested Kratom at an affordable price. It's kind of like a, it's, it's like a special alkaloid plant native to Southeast Asia, and they've got it all. You want to try tinctures? You want to try capsules? You want to boost your focus, boost your energy? Do you want to relax maybe? Or maybe you just need a little pain relief like my fat t- friend Tom. They've got a bunch of different strains in three different colors, red, white, and green vein strains. And the colors have different kratom effects. Each effect can be beneficial for mild pain reduction, depression, energy or focus, relaxation, anxiety, or mild withdrawal symptoms. Ketum Kratom is shipped to their fact facility where they craft their kratom products to perfection and meet all their quality and safety standards, their top priority. That's their number one priority, enhancing health and well-being of their customers across the nation. Ketum offers 25 strains of kratom Kratom extracts, tablets, capsules, liquid tinctures shipped from their GMP-compliant com- facility in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Check out Ketum at www.shopketum.com and use the promo code BIGBERT for 20% off all Ketum products. That's BIGBERT for 20% off all Ketum products at www.shopketum.com. If you're having trouble meeting your goals, difficulty with relationships, or trouble sleeping, maybe you're feeling stressed, depressed, a little anxious, BetterHelp is available. BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help. All you got to do, fill out a questionnaire to assess your needs. BetterHelp is going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you'll be talking to them within 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's secure online professional counseling. I have been having absolute horrific anxiety and I am in therapy and I do it online because it's easy for me. I don't have to go anywhere. I can just come in here, sit down, schedule a weekly video, sometimes to do a phone session on the treadmill and everything I share just like one better help is completely confidential. You don't have to sit in an awkward waiting room. You just show up, get a great therapy session. And if you don't like your counselor, you can change counselors. It's super easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and BertCast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Bert. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bert and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. 
it, it's crazy to me because it that that kind of like lunatic beliefs and things where like you when you talk about uh, are you guys brother and sister uh i'm gonna fucking you better show idea or i'm taking one of you to jail uh, that behavior's kind of been unleashed on the internet in america of like crazy laws where you go hold on did you just dead name her and you're like wait what did i do and then you're like you you don't you don't have pronouns on your twitter profile how dare you you're being canceled like you made a joke 10 years ago that's it we're done with you you know like it is kind yeah. of like that i mean it's just fascinating to me because as a kid i i you know all i knew really knew about iran was as a kid was uh was uh these are these are these were my takeaways that the embassy got stormed and there were hostages and then and that they wouldn't release the hostages until Reagan was inaugurated. Uh, that they didn't like Jimmy Carter. And then yeah, well, and the I kind of the reason. Sorry to interrupt because the, the, I mean, listen, there's there can be like a twenty part documentary about this whole period because the reason they stormed the embassy was so when the Shah flees, I think he first went to Egypt where Anwar Sadat welcomed him, but he was persona non grata because he was fleeing and the people that took control in Iran were telling every country, we want him back. We're going to put him on trial. Well, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to kill the guy. Jeez. In the worst way possible. Worst way possible. So now the Shah also, we find out, had cancer. He That's why I said him. he went to New York. Didn't he? Did, where did he go? He went maybe. Sloan Kettering. He went to Sloan Kettering in New York. So he goes to Sloan Kettering. Carter welcomes him. That's where the hostage crisis happens because- these students storm the embassy and they go, we're going to keep your, uh, uh, you know, embassy workers until you return the Shah. So that's where all that was going on. And as you said, Reagan, as he was running for president, um, struck a deal with the hostage takers. And I'm not quite sure what was given to them in return, but whatever it was, the deal was you will release the hostages when Reagan uh, you know, is inaugurated, which is what they did. I remember the day they released the host hostages. I was in grade school. My mom was teaching and I remember they, someone busted in the door and goes, they've released the hostages. And it was like, Oh, Dude, I'll tell you as an Iranian American, cause I do, I do this in my standup now, but I remember, cause listen, we're kids. So we were kids. So you forget certain things, but then when you're reminded, you go, Oh shit. So I just remember Ted Koppel on Nightline. You know, the hostage crisis is what made Nightline because he would come on and be like, day 132. And I was like, Shit. yeah, like this thing's still going. And, you know, I'm caught in these two worlds because I'm like, I don't support this. But, you know, on the playground, I got to like, <laughs> you know, people are going to come at me for it. Um, they'd call you fucking Iranian back then. That was the thing. They'd call you fucking Iranian. And uh, I didn't get beaten up, but I got called fucking Iranian. And, and it was like, I mean, I know uh, what it ever, I'd never at that time. I had not, not to interrupt. I apologize. But I had never met. I had no concept of Iran at all, except for what was on the news. I'd never met an Iranian. I'd never, I'd, I, 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 I never met anyone. And so I can only imagine being a kid and then being brainwashed. It's us against them. I said, I said to um, DJ Vlad is, uh, is a very popular uh, interviewer. Yeah. And, he, and I, I think he took offense to it. He goes, you know, you wrote in your book that 
you miss the days when 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 we hated the Russians. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, kind of it's like you knew who your enemy was. So like yeah. you didn't have to. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I was a Russian kid in America. Right. It was really rough. And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't see it that way. I'm sorry, man. Like, you know, like, but it is interesting. But I keep going. I apologize. No, that's the thing. See, that's the thing. That, that's why, again, I got I think the reason one of the reasons Trump pissed me off as someone who it was almost like having flashbacks to back then. I I had flashbacks to the bully thing. who would call me fucking Iranian when he would call anybody anything. I was like, who the fuck are you? You understand? And because now I'm old enough to be able to say that. But when you're a kid, you're like, what did I do? Like, I didn't do anything. And it's exactly what you just said. It's like, look, I'm in America. I I like, you know, I watch football. I, I play baseball. Like, I, I, you know, I'm just trying to get by on my day and you're throwing me in. And that's the problem is like, when you get leaders, this is the problem I have. When, when any politician comes in and goes, it's the China virus. It's the, you know, it's the Muslims. It's the Mexicans are rapists and, 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 and drug dealers. It's the, the caravan. Well, you as a leader might mean the government of that country. You might mean the actual criminals from that country. But the problem is there are a lot of assholes in this world and a lot of kids are assholes and they're going to end up in that school and that poor Korean kid that has nothing to do with China some dickhead's going to be like, what's up, China virus? And this kid's going to be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. First of all, I was born at St. Jo John's in Santa Monica. <laughs> Secondly, I'm Korean, you fucking idiot. Yeah. I mean, the, the level of ignorance that runs. So, so that's why, I, I like, when you're a leader, you got responsibility. It's one thing to come in and be like, look, the Chinese government is the, you know, undercutting us because of the currency, yeah. blah, 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 blah. They weren't honest. And so therefore, we're going to put some sanctions on them. I just want to remind people, this is not about any kind of, you know, Asian Americans or anything. They're good people. We love you. Thank you. You know what I mean? Almost, you almost got to like spoon feed people. Otherwise, this kind of shit happens. And it's like, I remember, you know, like, I, again, I talk about it in my standup. And I don't, in all honesty, I don't remember if the, if the incidents were the same. But I remember there was a sixth grader when I was in the fourth grade. And they would call me fucking Iranian. And I remember coming one day. I had, a, I had a nice bike. Like back then was when BMX bikes were, were happening. Oh, yeah. So I, I had Racing Incorporated. Do you have a, have you have a Mongoose Racing Incorporated? What, what did you have? Mongoose. Mongoose. Yeah. So I had a Racing Incorporated. I had like really, I was a spoiled kid. My dad was, you know, well off. So he'd buy me shit. I had like nice pedals and all this shit. And we would, we would park our bikes in a gated fence all day at school. And then, uh, you know, come get your bike afterwards. It'll be locked. And you come get it. I come to get it one day and the fucking pedals are gone. I'm like, who took my fucking pedals? And I don't know who took them. I don't know if it was the guys who were going after the goddamn, you know, the fucking Irene. I don't know who did it because that was the only pedals that were taken that day were my pedals. But I remember walking my bike because there was no pedal. I'm walking my bike to the bike, to the, to the bike shop. And there was like one, because I, I grew up in Marin County, Northern California. It's very white. There was like one black kid who was in the fifth grade. I just remember him talking to me like, dude, you know, this could be fine. You know, and in my, in my standup, I go, he's, he's, he's walking next to me going, don't worry about it, dude. I've been dealing with this shit for 250 years. Let me tell you what you got to do. You got to get a, see a therapist or become a comedian. That's it. <laughs> and that was it, dude. I mean, it was just, it was, it, it's crazy to be a kid in those times when your people are the enemy and, and, and there's nothing you can do. But, but like you said, the parallels with today, 
are insane. I mean, I see videos, Bert, like when when the pre when Trump became president with all the anti-Muslim shit that was going on, I saw videos on Twitter, people posting videos. There was there was a, a family in Florida, an Arab family, and it was clearly they were Arab and they and like the mom like had her hair covered, but they're at the beach. And they're just sitting there at the beach, just hanging out. And some fucking drunk dude shows up with his buddies and he's like, This is America, goddammit, take that off. This is Trump's America, motherfucker. And I'm like, really, dude? Really? Like, what? I have no, I have no, I have no leniency for people who devalue devalue other people. I, I, I have a, I have a stuff like that kind of breaks my heart. Where you go, what the fuck is wrong with someone? Can't you understand that? Ah, uh, I don't know. It's like if that here, here's it. Uh, if that was in a movie, you'd immediately. Hey, if, if that guy that did that to her saw that in a movie, he'd immediately hate himself and go, that guy's a fucking asshole. But yeah. then he does it and he just thinks, oh, I don't know, whatever. It goes back to what you said about feeling sorry. I, you know, a lot of times these people who do shit like this come from uh, an abusive home or, or, or something like that. And my yeah. hope is, you know, I hope people break that, you know, break that chain. Like if you come from an abusive home, then do your best to not be abusive. You know, and and I tell my kids all the time, I go, guys, if you're ever in a situation where you have friends of yours are picking on somebody, I go, I want you to step out of that circle and team up with a kid being picked on. Because I go, that's where you will feel invigorated and and you will feel good about yourself. And this other shit is bullshit. Like I, I saw my daughter, she's 10. So they're on like Zoom and chatting and all this stuff. And she was using my computer. So when it came up, I saw some of the some of the discussion. And I couldn't make out if they were leaving one of the girls out. So I very, you know, coyly, I was walking with her. I was like, hey, I saw you guys were talking and that one girl, what was she saying? And she's like, oh, yeah, she was trying to blah, blah, blah. And I, and I was trying to see if they were like leaving her out. Yeah. And I was like, so wait a minute, honey, were you guys leaving? She goes, oh, no, no, no. She was just having trouble logging on. I go, thank you. I'm happy to hear that. And I go, I want to remind you, if ever your friends are saying, let's leave so-and-so out, you get out of that friend, you get out of that group and you go, you know what I'm saying? Because- Dude, it, I again, I think as comedians, we get to reflect a lot on our on our past. And I think having been having seen that shit when I was a kid, I think that really etched in my brain. And I've always been an empath. Like I always feel for people that are underdogs. Like I remember when we first came to America, my um dad's friend had us staying at his house for a brief, brief, brief uh, uh moment and they had a daughter who had Down syndrome. And I remember we were all sitting at the table, we're all eating, and she was kind of acting up. And the parents like yelled at her, they're like, whatever, so-and-so, go to your room. And she kind of was like upset and she goes to her room. And you don't even know, dude, like I found myself like five minutes later, like kind of moseying over to her room and just mm -hmm. being like, hey, you, you okay? You want, want me to let you out? I mean, I felt like, <laughs> I mean, what the, they, they locked her up. Kind of, kind of bullshit parenting is you that? Slid, you slid a Snickers bar to her like chunk yeah. in uh, like yeah, exactly. yeah. the like green mile shit, man. Oh my god! Oh, it's interesting. I bet you and your wife had such different experiences as children, where your children are growing up in a place where I mean, I, I would, I don't know, I, 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 you know, like I said, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the United States. I only live here, but my daughters are 
they go to public, they went to public school, but they were so oblivious of racism, but they were acutely aware that they were white and they were not Mexican or black or like they were, they, you know, there, it was like, it was almost like a, like a really healthy dose of like, of like hard knocks, but with a bunch of privilege covered around it where they were like, there's, they're very open-minded about gender equality and transgender rights and issues and all of that and, and race and everything. However, they they also grew up in the yard at a at a public school where they were like they were like oh Mexican kids say the n word black kids <laughs> say the n word we just stay away from that shit don't right. ever want to fight a black chick like that was I watched this one girl fuck this one girl up in the hallway like it was <laughs> that kind of world where you're like okay so you have enough to stay out of the mix but <laughs> but uh, yeah no it's great listen I I really the kids my kids give me hope for the future because exactly what you said like. They seem to be in the know. And it's not a cancel culture thing at all. It's kind of like they're on it. Like my son is in seventh grade and he's part of like the social justice group. And they're talking about, you know, from climate change to, to Black Lives Matter to, I mean, they're, they're, they're in the know, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's why it's, it, it always, it, 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 it uh, confuses me or, or puzzles me when I see young people that are like hardcore Republicans and again, that has nothing to do with like, again, I have Republican friends, I have Democrat friends, but like the the Ben Shapiro's or the Charlie Kirk's who are like in their early 20s and they're like, well, you know, we need to defend the blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, don't you have a rebellious bone? But I think that they're rebelling now against the left. But in reality, it's not really rebellion because I think whether you like it or not, I don't care what side you're on, this country is becoming more diverse. This country is moving in, like you know, they say that the 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 arc the arc of the social justice bends towards, uh, uh, or the arc of time bends towards. I'm messing it up. Bends towards justice, basically. So when you look at like, you know, whatever, a few years ago, gay people didn't get married legally. You know, that's so crazy that that was real. Right, 30, 40 years ago, black and white couldn't do it. Right. So we oh, are that still moving. bothers me. But yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. Don't was, want to bring up sensitive there was, issues. There was a comic. I wish I could remember uh, this. It's uh, that had a great joke about that. And I was like, it was a long time ago. Keep going. I'm, I'm going to fuck his joke up. No, but I'm just saying like these kids, you're right. Like my I have hope when I see our kids. And, and listen, you're right. In, in a way, they're still privileged. Like where we're growing up. Um, they're privileged, but I do like to see, oh man, I love it when I see like young people who are politically active. I, we need to be politically active. The fact that a hundred and what would it be like 150, 160 million people went out and voted this time, like the loser and the winner had the most votes. That's, I think that's a world we need to be a part of. I think that, oh, yeah. I think we need more and more people to care about these things. Cause when you don't care about it, then you sit back and then you complain, but you go, well, what did you do to change it? Like this time around, like I'll tell you, I've become more and more political as the years have gone by. So, you know, few elections back, I might be like, oh, I'll donate a little bit of money. Then like the previous election, I was like, I'll donate a little bit more money. Then this time around, I donated money. I did phone banking. I went to Nevada and was a poll watcher. Like I was getting active. I was helping people 
find, uh, make sure they had the proper. There was a there was a, a nonprofit that that that's also uh, nonpartisan, but tends to be more people on the left are are reaching out. But it was to make sure people had the right IDs to vote in every state. So I felt like I was part of something, and I think that's important. And I think our kids, your kids, my kids, are are, are that. And 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 I think that they're not they're unapologetic about it. You know, I, I want my kid to come up and be like, look, I'm organizing a protest or a march or a fundraiser or whatever. I'd be proud of that kid. I'd be like, that's that, that yeah. you know, that's, that's how, cause, cause you see people, when you watch that girl, Amanda Gorman, give the, the recite the poem at the inauguration and she's so eloquent and she's 22 years old. And I was like, holy shit. I was like this, I go, how, dude, I've been doing stand-up for 22 years. I'm 48 years old. I keep trying to write an op-ed piece about something and talking myself out of it. I'm like, nobody wants to hear my opinion. Forget, I don't want to do it. You know, or, or even like I wanted to do a rant on my Instagram. I don't want to. Yeah, people are going to judge it. No, be proud. Stand up. That person's a person just like you. Get up and, and fight for justice. And I think our kids are that. Yeah, I, I, I said to someone uh, during this, right before this election, I said, I don't really, you know, I don't really care about politics. I don't really follow it too much. And it was a, it was a, maybe it was a black chick or a black dude who I was with, but I can't remember if it was Miss Pat or my bus driver, Ron, but, uh, but uh, they were like, yeah, you don't have to. And I was like, yeah, I don't. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, if he gets elected again, nothing changes for you. And if Biden wins, nothing changes for you. Like you, you have no, you have no horse in the race. You just, everything's going to be fine because you're white. And I'd never realized, like, I'd always just been like, I don't know, politics turn me off. It seems like a reason people can't hang out or party or, or be at a bar. The second someone brings up politics, everyone shuts down and, oh, fuck. And all of a sudden, why'd you have to bring that up? He's right over there. Like, let's just all hang out. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you don't have anything to lose. Or maybe it's a, I forget who it was that told me this. I wish I could knew because I would love to credit them. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. Now I, I don't have the luxury of being. I mean, I, I try to keep it out of my act because because I, I definitely don't want to polarize people who decided to come see me do stand up. And, and I know that I'm not I don't have all the answers, nor do I have whatever opinion I give you is going to be half informed. And so why would I like I'm but not that guy. But you know what? That's a beautiful thing because you got to talk about what you're passionate about, what you want to talk about, right? And yeah. the fact is, you know, that the your politics may find you. Like I was talking to Debbie Gutierrez on my podcast, and she told me because she started getting political on Twitter. And I was like, Debbie, what what made you want to get political? Because you know, she used to do just you know, parenting stuff. Yeah. And she said, you know, um, our kids. Uh, I don't know if both or one are, are, are uh, LGBTQ. I think one of them is. And she said, uh, you know, the church we went to was suddenly like unaccepting of that. Wow. And she said, I realized I got to step up. It's my kid. And, and that's why I'm telling you, it's like a cause will come your way where you're like, oh shit. Like, like for me, look, I've always been political for, and there's been a lot of stuff where, again, I was a little more hands-off political. I did protest. Like I'm very anti-war and stuff. But I did protest against the Iraq war. But this time around, it was, I think part of it was that Muslim ban and realizing like this motherfucker is coming after everybody. And when I say this motherfucker, not just him, just that mentality of, yeah. you know what, we're going to, you know, you know, Muslims are refugees are bad. I mean, 
listen, I could, I could break it down for you left and right, but I keep running into people who tell me these stories. There's a group called Miri's List. This girl, by the way, as many as crazy, like nut jobs as there are out there, there's people doing the work of angels. So this girl, Miri, is this you know white girl who uh, all of a sudden got a message from a friend going, hey, I know you had babies recently. There's a Syrian refugee family who recently came to this area. Do you have any like, any of their like, you know, car seats, anything I could use. So they go to visit the Syrian family. They've come to America. They got nothing. So Miri, what does she do? She puts a little post on her Facebook page. Hey guys, trying to find some stuff for this family. Can you help me out? And all of a sudden people step up. So long story short, she creates a, a nonprofit called Miri's List, M-I-R-Y, Miri's List. So she's been helping all kinds of refugee families from all these different countries and these are people running away from war and they're coming here and they got nothing. So she helps them, you know, find housing, uh, get their furniture, et cetera, et cetera. And um, what, what's amazing about her is when I talk to her, she goes, you know, before Trump had taken over, uh, the U.S. had a limit. It was like maybe like 120,000 refugees can come to America. And she said that was the number that was set. And by the way, all those people are vetted to make sure they're legit, all that stuff. And she goes, usually when they were aiming for 120, you would get like 80% of that would make it here and we'd settle them in. She goes, under the Trump administration, every year that number's gone lower, lower, lower to the point where like this past year was like 18,000 were allowed. So we went from like 120 to 18,000. Now, why does that affect me? I'm not a refugee, but the reason it affects me is because I'm an immigrant who left a country that was in turmoil and I landed in America. And if I had landed and they told me, no, you're not allowed, go back to that situation. Ooh. I go, what the, I, I go, how do I not sympathize with somebody who's in a war that, you know, possibly we had a hand in somehow causing, and, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, so you know, we had a hand in any fucking war yeah. in this. We had some, we have some skin in that blood in that game. Always dude. I'm getting contacts. And if you're a contact lens wearer, you know ordering contacts can be a hassle. Now you can order your contacts without even leaving the house. And it's super easy to do with 1-800-CONTACTS. They've been delivering contact lenses for 25 years and have your contacts in stock. Even if you have a strong prescription or astigmatism, it couldn't be simpler. You order the same contacts you would get from your doctor. Just look on the side of your contact box. You'll find your prescription details. And you can order online, order over the phone or with their app, and they ship them fast and free to your home. You can even renew your prescription online using their express exam. There's award-winning 24-7 customer service if you ever need help or have any questions. And their price guarantees means that if you find your contacts at a lower price elsewhere, they're going to beat it. They have your contacts in stock. I'm telling you, I'm, that was my friend. And they've been doing this for 25 years. All you got to do is let 1-800-CONTACTS get you the contact lenses you need. Order online or at 1-800-CONTACTS.COM. I said order online or at 1-800-CONTACTS.COM. Download the free app or just call 1-800-CONTACTS. That's 1-800-266-8228. So what's fascinating to me is you think this is, this is by the way, I, everything we're talking about is so charged lately that I want everyone to remember we are also just comics. And so when I when I come up with a half-baked statement like that I'm about to make, remember, I'm just trying to work a bit out one day. <laughs> um, 
that every that's all like every fucking every purpose I of com- any conversation I have is either to try to help somebody write read a book or write a joke. Um, but uh, when you think about it, like <laughs> I got really bothered when uh, I got really really bothered. This is gonna sound so fucking white privilegey, but uh, like when we re- we redid our house and the stereotype that you that that was being put out there about Mexicans when you have any sort of construction going on that you're living through and you're living in a construction site, you realize that is an extremely inaccurate. Uh, there's a very inaccurate statement. Um, every, uh, I don't, I you can't say everyone, but in my experience, all the guys were Latino, most predominantly Mexican. They were the sweetest guys, the fucking most fearless guys and fucking, and the hardest working guys. And they're working on our new house too. I love these guys. They're kind of like family. Like you, you know, you use anyone that knows that they've done work. The people that don't work on your house kind of turn into family a little bit, you know? And so I got really bothered with any stereotype that was put out there about Mexicans being, they're just coming here to rape. And and I was like, that's not who fucking gets crawls through a tunnel from one side of the country to another side. That's not the kind of the person who gets crammed in the, underneath of a truck to get into this country that's someone looking for opportunity yeah the rapist is just gonna stay there like if anything if anything we should not allow anyone to have any more american kids like that like we have got our fill like that's who's lazy that's who's not doing shit dude i say it all the time i go the biggest threat to americans are americans all right horrible right off the bat and second one of them yeah, listen, dude. I mean, listen, listen. First of all, no apologizing because we're just talking. And one of one of my biggest pet peeves, by the way, is when people come on on my like on my social media Twitter. They go stick to comedy. I'm like, you know what, motherfucker? You stick to accounting or whatever the fuck it is that you do. I'm a human being, and I can have political opinions. And this yeah. is my political opinion. And what you just said, see, that's that's where you see these people, and you know. I guarantee you, Bert, if one of those guys that was working on your house, you saw him out there one day crying and you're like, what's going on? They were like, well, they deported my wife because X, Y, and Z. You would be pissed off and be like, fuck this bullshit with the deporting and blah, blah, blah. Because, dude, I don't know if you watched it. They have a this documentary series on Netflix. It's called Immigration Nation. And usually I get through. I go from episode one to 10, whatever it is, I watch it. Well, this one by episode two, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. It was so heartbreaking because it talks about this. These documentary filmmakers were able to to follow around ICE agents just at, at the time when Trump became president and they would go around deporting people. And it's interesting because at first the ICE agents are like, well, um, I have no problem doing what we're doing because we're deporting people who have a criminal record. So I'm fine with that. Soon as that guy says that, he gets a call and he's like, "Oh, hangs up." He's like, "Well, I guess we're just deporting people who uh, whose visa has, has, visas have expired." So he went from deporting people that had criminal records to deporting people that did not have criminal records. And then you see this one story, like, just breaks my heart. There's a guy who was like a cop in El Salvador, and there was these Salvadoran gangs who were coming after him. And there's a New York cop who is talking in the documentary on his behalf, and he's like. Yeah, you know, when so-and-so, Eduardo in El Salvador, whenever I needed any kind of uh, um, uh, information on the Salvadoran gangs, I would call him. He'd help me out in New York. 
And then one day I was talking to him. He said, hey, listen, man, they're coming after me. I need to come to America. So he brought his family to America. Now, when he comes here, he's not documented, but he sets up shop. He becomes like a plumber. He, he pays his taxes. His kids are teenagers. He's living the American dream. Pay, everything's fine. And they show, the cops show up, the ice shows up, and they're like, sorry, buddy, we got to deport you. And he's like, but I'm here. I'm doing everything right. And they go, well, under this new administration, you're not. Get out. And you see that, and you're like, what the fuck? And so all of that to say, you know, I, I think our lives are, are, are politics, you know, and, and, and I think that when we let down our guard, you know, um, and you don't have to like be on stage talking about it, but yeah. there are times when going back to the bully thing, you either stand, you either stand up for the, for the uh, underrepresented or you sit back and watch it. And that's the choice, right? So I choose to stand up and, and I take a lot of shit. I take shit from my own people. I had so many Iranians that love Trump that were on there calling me. Like, a, there is a, there is a huge uh, uh, swath of, of, of Middle Eastern dudes who loved Trump, like loved him. And it was, I was, I was very taken aback by that. I didn't expect that, but. It's crazy. They love, like, they think that he's strong and this and that. And then the Iranians thought, because the problem, one of the problems with Trump, again, going back to logic, like, like when you talk about like this guy who shows up at the pizza place and doesn't think for a moment, like, why would they have a, a, a pedophile ring in a pizza place? Like I used to do, I try to joke about it. It was kind of dark, but I was like, by the way, pizza place is the worst place to have a child sex ring because, you know, you show up, you know, you'd be like, these, these kids are a little fat. Like you got any, any kids, you know, is there like a child sex ring at like a Whole Foods somewhere healthier? These kids have been eating the pizza. So something like that. They're, I forget the joke, but it didn't work. But anyway, um, the, um, uh, the, the Trump had said that he was, he basically had put in the minds of a lot of Iranians that he's going to get rid of the Muslim leadership, the mullahs. So a lot of Iranians really bought into that. Now, then you go, well, what's his game plan? They're like, I don't know. There's really no game plan. So I continued to be vocal uh, and probably lost a lot of fans for it. But I was like, I would rather have that than to be quiet. And, and but this is me because this is just who I am, you know, uh, than to be quiet and be like, oh, whatever. I, you know, I, I kept all the fans that I'm lying to now because, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, but that's been my style for my whole entire career. I've talked politics. Yeah. What, um, let, let's, we should pivot and talk real quick about your special. And I didn't get to, I was listening to your podcast and I just was listening to the beginning of that guy that had the worst 2020, Sammy, Sammy, Obey. Sammy Obey. What happened to his 2020? Holy shit, Bert. First of all, I, I want you to come on my podcast. I would love can. to. I would love to. Would love to have you on there. So Sammy Obey, Sammy's this sweet guy. So people that don't know, my podcast is called Back to School with Maz Jobrani. And the whole concept came because... My um, son and daughter would ask me questions that I didn't know the answer for. So I said, instead of Googling it, I'm going to bring on experts and we'll learn from them. Now, it's become basically an excuse for me to talk to people with interesting stories. So yeah. I've had people on like Michael Cohen, who was Donald Trump's fixer, all the way to uh, a guy who helped the, uh, land the rover on Mars, to a woman who is a cave diver. She goes under glaciers. Oh, and I, think I, I just bought her book. It's amazing. She's I just bought her book. Yeah, have her on your show. She's her story. The book is crazy. Her story's crazy. But so Sammy is a 
fellow stand-up comedian. And Sammy is of Palestinian descent, but he's American. And here's what's crazy is I have done Zoom shows with Sammy all through the pandemic. Um, he and I both went to UC Berkeley. So we did a, we've done shows for incoming freshmen at UC Berkeley for the past three or four years. He's this smart, handsome, put together dude. I'm on his mailing list on email. And one day he sends out an email and he's like, I got uh, MS, mus muscular, uh, uh, multiple sclerosis in 2020. And I'm like, what? I start reading it. And basically the gist of it is he started having these pains and this weird shit. And like, he would like open a door and like his shoulder would crack and, and, and he, he couldn't figure out what's going on. And then he emails his doctor to set up an appointment, doesn't hear back from them and starts calling them. They're not responding and then gets in touch with them four months later. And they're like, oh, that guy has disappeared. We don't know where he went. He's like, what? So then he finds a doctor on Google that's in his insurance because he has Obamacare. And she's got one star on Google. And then she sends him to go get tested. And it comes back that you might have MS. And he's like, what? So she's basically telling him he's got this disease that might kill him. And then it falls on him to go and do further research to find out it wasn't MS, but it was something else. In the meantime, he finds out that his father is cheating on his mother. And I mean, it's dude, it's the craziest story. As he told me, I go, this is a movie of what happened to you. And in the middle of all that, he thinks he got coronavirus. So it's like, I mean, it's the craziest story ever. I got to, I got to listen to that podcast. I started listening to it the other day on the, on the treadmill. And I was like, I was like, wait, what the fuck? And then I was like, I'll just talk to Moz about it. It is crazy. It's one of those things that we're like, I'll tell you, like under my COVID, like I'll tell you, as soon as COVID hit, our dryer stopped working. So my wife would send me out to public laundromats to, to dry the clothes. And every time I would lean into the dryers to get the clothes, my forehead would hit. I'm like, oh fuck, I got COVID head. So that happened. And then we got a fucking, there was a mouse loose in our house and the exterminator couldn't catch him. So finally he gave me this thing. It was like the jaws of death. And he's like, you set it up, you catch him. I caught the fucking thing at like three in the morning, but he wasn't fully dead. He was running around my house with his head in the thing. I mean, it's, I, uh -oh. I thought I had a crazy 2020. Like it just got, our refrigerator stopped working. The house was falling apart. When I heard Sammy's story, I go, dude. Nothing, nothing compared to that. Nothing compared Tell to that. Tell me about the specials on Peacock, right? Yeah, so the special is called Pandemic Warrior. So what happened was end of 2019, I go to Dubai, December 2019. I shoot a special. I call it Peaceful Warrior because my whole point was I'm not going to get into arguments with anyone who is politically not aligned with me because that happened a few times where my show got derailed. And I decided instead of arguing, I'm just going to Tai Chi that shit. So the next time I say a Trump joke and somebody yells at me, I'm just going to be like, oh, thank you for expressing yourself. What a great country. You can do that. Like there's actually a clip. If you go on YouTube and put Maz Jobrani Trump heckler, there's a lady at, at um, I think at, I saw this video. Yeah. It's at, uh, at uh, uh, what's it called? Um, what's the one in Burbank called? Um, uh, not the ice house. Um, uh, not well, fucking flappers. Flappers. It's a flappers. And the lady, I do this very like innocuous Trump joke and she's drunk. She's like, I, as a woman, am offended. And I was like, that's fantastic. In America, you can be a woman and be offended. How what a great country. Like, and she just doesn't know what to do because I'm not like going like this. I'm Tai Chiing it. So I called my, my, my tour, 
peaceful warrior because I was like, I'm still going to say my shit, but be peaceful. Film it in 2019, December, thinking to myself, okay, 2020, I'll go home. I'll, I'll sell it. I'm on tour. This is my year. And then fucking lockdown. God. And I'll tell you what's amazing, uh, Bert, is I started watching some specials that came out during lockdown. And I remember Seinfeld, you know, one of the best comics in the history of comedy. His special came out. I'm watching it. And it felt foreign because because it was like it was almost like he shot it on Mars because yeah. there was an audience and he's talking about like how upset he is about going out of the house and I was like what <laughs> like it was weird and and it wasn't the, it was funny stuff but it just was we were in lockdown so I yeah. realized since it was almost like a blessing for me it's like okay since mine isn't coming out now let me go back and shoot like three minutes at the top of me in a closet doing comedy to a computer and then tell people I'm aware that we are on lockdown and now here's the special I shot in Dubai. You watch it and then I come back and I do another like three minutes at the end as the credits roll and, and I called it Pandemic Warrior. And so it's coming out on Peacock uh, January 28th. People can stream it all the time. And I'm doing a run because I support a, a, a charity called... Um, uh, it's called uh, International Medical Corps, and they are like doctors without borders, um, but they actually go to places of disaster and they train the doctors to deal with those disasters. And currently, they've been helping with COVID relief all over the country. And so I was just in touch with uh, one of the people there, and I said, yeah, my special is coming out on January 28th. And she was like, oh, there's a run you can do. And I go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a run, hashtag run with Moz. And I'm going to challenge myself. I've been running five to six miles. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 I, the whole time I'm thinking, what clubs? Like a run of clubs. And now I'm, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, I'm running too. Keep going. Yeah. So I've been running five to six miles like every other day. So what I'm going to do is I, I've set a goal Thursday the 28th when my special comes out. I'm going to run 10 miles. Hashtag run with Moz. And I've been telling people set a goal for the 28th, you know, one mile, five miles, 10 miles and donate whatever you can to International Medical Corps. My hope and goal is to raise $5,000 for them that day. This is in lieu of like a premiere party. We'll do a run with Moz, and then I'm hoping people will then go and enjoy the uh, special. And if anybody wants to join me on the run with Moz, they can go to my Instagram, at Maz Jobrani, and it's in my link tree right there. It just goes to run with Moz on International Medical Corps. And let's just raise money for a good cause. All right, I'll do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna launch. I've been running five and a half miles every day. I'm trying to run 2,000 this year. Have you, what's the most you've ever run? 1,000 miles last year. I ran 1,000 miles. No, no, I'm saying at one time, what's your biggest? Oh, a marathon. 26. You did a marathon. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've never, I've done half a marathon. I did half a marathon. Uh, I did half a marathon and then I did, uh, I did the LA marathon like two years ago. If you ever decide to do another marathon, let me know and I'll okay. train with you. I've wanted to run a marathon. Oh, I didn't train. I just ran it. I didn't train at all. Let's do it. Let's do it like like <laughs> legit. You know Chris Williams? You know who Chris Williams is? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You ever see Crazy Eyes Killer on uh yeah. on Kirby Enthusiasm? Yeah. He's my good buddy. He's run like marathons all over the world. He went and ran in Rome. He ran all over the place. I heard I heard uh I heard fucking Eddie Izzard's running another 50 marathons in 50 days. That's the guy too. I, he told me about that. That's some. I mean, I, listen. I just want to run one, but I'd like uh, to. They like, suck, I dick. Dude, I didn't train for the half one, and I was like, I've never been that sore my entire life. So, 
but I would like to train for a marathon. And if you're at all on board, yeah. if you feel inspired, I say we do it. And and like I said, Thursday, I'm going to go for 10. And that's the most I've run in the past maybe 15, 20 years. So I'm going to oh, go for nice. it. Nice. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll hit you up because uh, I'll run on the 28th. I'm already going to be running anyway. I might as well throw in another five miles. Let's do it, dude. Let's oh, do it. Yeah. Let's let's hit it, man. I appreciate you doing that. And if you oh, ever have something you're doing where you got to you know, raise money for something, let me know. I'll do it right back at you. Hell yeah. I appreciate you doing this, Moz. It was a great conversation, man. And congrats on the special. Love the podcast. And I got to get on the podcast soon. Hey, we're going to do it. Uh, I, I'm happy to see you like this. I can't wait to see you in person. I Hug know. it out. And uh, I hope your Latino workers complete the house in time. <laughs> 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 they think they think I am such a bitch. Today I saw them and I was like, you know, I have a mask on, I'm wild side. They're like looking at me like fucking pussy. And they they always cut back to the time and they'll go, Do you remember one time when they were building this house? They didn't know what I did for a living. They just saw me come back with men into my man cave and for like two hours and then leave giggling. And they said to Leanne one night, one night, one day, they go, What does he do? <laughs> like what do you mean they're like he doesn't have a job like he doesn't work what does he do he just goes back in that room with men and, <laughs> and, and they, they were making fun of me thinking i'm just back here fucking dudes and then hilarious like, All right, i'm a prostitute hilarious so, i'm such a bitch but hilarious yeah okay. they i'm telling you dude we had we had uh, uh worked on at our house too and when i see these guys do the things they do I, exactly like you said i'm like oh my god i gotta up my game bro I got no game compared to these guys yeah. up on the fucking roof. No fucking rope, two stories putting in fucking roofing. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. And it's funny. Cause like, you'll be like, Oh, uh, I feel like the guy, like you said, he's doing roofing. I'm like, Hey, you know, this, uh, electrical thing is not working. He's like, don't worry, my friend. And it goes over and like, he knows the fuse. He knows where my shit. I'm like, how do you know where everything is? He's like, I got it, man. Don't worry. I'm like, Oh shit. Meanwhile, I can't like, you know, my wife is so funny, dude. My previous house, my wife got sick of these light bulbs that were out, and I was always touring. And I'd be like, "I'll get them, I'll get them." It's just literally screwing in a light bulb. Yeah, I'll get them, I get. So one day I show up, she's like, "I got a task rabbit coming to do the light bulbs." I go, "What?" I go, "Are you crazy?" She's like, "You were always away. You never did." I'm like, All right, whatever. You already got the lady. Let her come, dude. This task rabbit girl comes. She starts walking around the house with like a notepad to go see what bulb she's got to buy. She goes on top of this one like little uh, uh, case where we keep plates and there's a light coming off of it. And she looks and she's like, did you guys know that there's uh, like a book up here that's on fire? And we're like, what? <laughs> we had no idea. Like our, this task rabbit saved our house from just fucking going <laughs> anyway. It's funny, dude. Awesome, brother. I will talk to you soon. Congrats on everything, man. Thanks, Bert. Talk soon. All right. Later, brother. Okay, Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.